everybody, I'd like to welcome you to another edition of The Rhythm of Real Estate. I am your host, DeAndre Laverity, the realtor, and I'm here with some amazing information for you. I have a, a wonderful guest lined up for this episode. He is a gentleman I met probably four years ago. And uh, he was educating my entire office uh, at Keller Williams about mortgages. So I know you guys have a lot of questions about mortgages. We've been talking about mortgages and mortgage rates and the direction of the market. We're talking about all this stuff. And hopefully we can get some of that ironed out. I got the best guy in the world right now for you on the line. We're going to talk about it. So. This gentleman is a representative of Fairway. He's a mortgage, he's been a mortgage originator, also branch manager, 15 years in the business. So, you know he knows a lot of stuff, you know he knows what he's talking about. He works in the Boston area, but his company is huge and they can help you in many states. I'll let him give you all the details about that good stuff. He's a great gentleman, I'd like to introduce him right now. His name is Rob Venziano, everybody. Rob, thank you so much for joining us on The Rhythm of Real Estate, where we discuss the movements of the market and how to make the most of what we have. Thanks very much for the wonderful introduction and inviting me on. I'm really excited to be here and having an exciting conversation around mortgages and any questions you and your listeners uh, may have. Yeah, well, thank you. And, and Rob, I have to ask, you know, how did you even get into this business? It seems like a very niche business where people come and go, kind of like as realtors. You know, we see a lot of turnover, mm-hmm. but you've uh, managed to last. So how did you get into business and what's uh, what's keeping you going? Yeah, great question. So uh, before I got into mortgages, I was selling uh, databases of middleware, so always kind of in a sales role. And I, with 9-11 happening and companies laying off left and right, the economy changing way back then, I was just looking for something different. I really wanted to work for myself. I've always loved education, uh, loved selling, loved customer service. And when I bought my first condo in Watertown, Massachusetts, uh, gosh, probably 20 plus years ago at this point, I didn't have a great real estate agent. I didn't have a great lender. It was a very, very stressful process. Wow. But I, yeah, it was, it was not fun. But I, I loved everything about how, you know, buying a house and, and making a home. And it was always a secret passion of mine. So when I started to think about what do I want to do next as the economy was in flux and I did get laid off myself um, in technology, um, I chatted with a bunch of my friends who were loan officers down in the Pennsylvania area where I was originally from. They loved their jobs. I just did some informational, informal informational interviews with them about what they liked about it, and it seemed to combine all the qualities that I've loved over the years that I've built in my career, again, from sales to education. And I decided to, to take a jump into uh, the world of 100% commission, as loan officers typically are, <laughs> and see what I can make of it. Man, that 100% commission, it's a, it's a beautiful world, and it's a scary place to be at the same time, huh? <laughs> That's right, yes. Going from a salary into, into uh, you know, trying to run everything myself, marketing. I mean, I've always worked for a larger company, so I never had my own business. Okay. I worked for a company who supported me. 
um, in you know offering marketing and rates and mortgage you know products and such. Uh, but still, I'm, I look I look at myself. I'm sure like you do, you know, as an independent contractor running your own business. But that that part was thrilling to me, and that's what's really kept me motivated over the years is, is just kind of working for myself with the support of a large, larger organization like I know you have with Keller Williams. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, definitely. So I understand that you said 15 years ago you got into this business. What was the landscape like? I mean, you, you said we were kind of going through an influx, and I'm sure things were a lot different than they are today. What was it like kind of entering into the market at that time? Yeah, wonderful question. It was easy for entry. Um, you know, there was people that were very unqualified, unfortunately, in the industry as loan officers because there weren't bar- barriers to entry like they are now, meaning with national licensing and tests and exams. Mm-hmm. Much more regulations, thanks to the Dodd-Frank Financial Reform Bill that came, you know, out of as a result of uh, one of the many things that came out, of course, the result of the recession and post-recession. Uh, but um, it was it was the wild wild west. We had loan products called no documentation where if you had good credit we didn't need any documentation from the borrower if you had a a good down payment 20 percent or so you you don't even have to have a job at that time you could have obtained a mortgage wow i I remember those days i mean i i I wasn't active in real estate during that time i was um just getting into college so i remember there was a big frenzy of people a lot of my friends in college were talking about buying houses in like freshman year and I had no idea why or how but we learned you know uh, some some keywords one was uh, no doc one was kickback and uh you know there was a lot of like you said wild wild west going on back then so must have uh must have been a good time for you it was, it was a little nutty, yeah. I mean, I, thankfully, the first company that I worked for for the 10 years that kind of trained me and told me what I know, they did not, you know, most of our clientele base didn't fit into that. We were They were mostly full documentation clients, which is what we have today. Okay, great. Which means we need full documentation from borrowers, everything from pay stubs to bank statements to a job. Let's, let's rewind to that. Most importantly, <laughs> you know, um, tax returns, W-2, and, and some savings, et cetera. That's, that was always around then. And that would get you the best rates then. That is certainly the, the rule of the land now, um, that no doc, no doc loan, even what's called a stated income loan, which was around back then, which means you can state your income. And as long as it was believable to your profession and your accountant probably needed to give us a letter stating that as well, we could just use that income on an application, even though it might not be the actual income. Hmm. Again, that program has gone, so let's circle back to full doc. So, yeah, things have changed. Um, but anyone, you know, it's much easier to get a loan back then, to, to go back to your question, and credit standards were lower. You could get a loan, perhaps 100% financing, um, which is only around for a very few select loan products nowadays. But back then, you could do that with even a credit score of about 560 to 580. 560, wow. And if you, yeah, and that's certainly way way less than perfect credit. So where are you guys so, now? Uh, is it still 620-ish? You hit the nose on the head for what Fairway's minimum is for most of our lending products, except FHA, the Fair Housing Administration, a great uh, government lending program, and we actually go as low as 600 for that. Okay. Everything else is 620 unless you're looking at a jumbo loan, 
and, and that's just over a certain loan limit, um, which right now is about 603750 And when it's Trumbo, then you need certainly higher scores than 620, ideally, you know, 680 plus typically. Well, with our market today, it seems like every loan has to be a jumbo loan, huh? <laughs> I mean, these that's prices right. are yeah, soaring, man. Is. That's right. Um, well, well said. Well said. A lot of my borrowers are also Metro West, you know, North Shore, South Shore. So thankfully, when you get outside the city, uh, it tends to have some cheaper housing stock. So, Excellent. but yes, you're right. Um, you're right. So that actually brings me to the first topic. You know, we were. Uh, I was reading this week in uh, the Financial Times that the Fed actually raised its rates uh, again, and so we're in continuing in the rate increase cycle and uh, and i wanted mm. to get your idea uh, a little feedback from you on how you feel that impacts the overall real estate market how what impact do you think it'll have on prices buyers ability to buy um yeah what, what do you think it's going to do or um impact in the market sure so with the fed raising rates it continues to show their confidence that the economy is you know certainly recovered and is doing well. And they're they're bringing that rate back up. I mean, in, in the, the height of the recession, it was, um, you know, much, much, much lower. So they've been slowly, thankfully, ever so slowly, raising it up a quarter here, a quarter there. And, you know, every time they, we hear their meeting, we're all expecting, for the most part, like happened last week, that it's going to be up, go up by a quarter of a percentage point. But it's important to know when they make that move, they're changing the rate called the Fed funds rate, which is more of a very short-term rate that impacts things like credit cards, credit lines, auto loans, and the like. Um, what a lot of my clients think, and trust me, I did before I got in the business, is, oh, the Fed's going to raise the rate by a quarter. Therefore, the rate I heard from Rob last week, the day the Fed raises the rates, is also going to go up by a quarter. Mm-hmm. And that's not the case. Um, it's definitely not. Um, I'll give you an example, if you don't mind. Please. Um, just um, when this first, when they first, you know, it was flat for so long, there wasn't a raise in the Fed funds rate. When they first raised it years ago, um, that day our rates did go up by an eighth, not a quarter. And the next day they went right back down to where they were the day prior. That's interesting. So again, not a direct correlation. Yeah, it's really the, the, the rate that the bank is lending out, but it doesn't mean that the institutions, the lenders, are going to follow suit. Right, uh, There's okay. many other forces beyond that. So back to your question where it started is, you know, wh- how does it affect the market? Well, in general, rates um, compared to this time last year um, are, I'm going to ballpark this, this is uh, for most consumers, you know, is up almost a point, one percentage point or so. So okay. it's a good jump from a good jump from a year ago. So just any rate increase is going to decrease the uh, buyer's purchasing power, right? Because they may have a budget of I want to spend X a month, and in spending X a month, they're they're banking on that being around uh, a certain rate. Maybe they're using perhaps four and a half, right? Well, if that rate goes up, and now it's you know four and a, uh, four point seven five for example, so it goes up by a quarter. Um, they're now going to be able to potentially afford less. That purchase price might have to come down. And as that starts to affect consumer after consumer after consumer, and they're not paying the prices of X, they may only want to pay a price of X minus Y, that eventually will have an impact of, of stabilizing home prices or maybe having them move down a bit. 
Yeah. I can't afford that house anymore. And you know this as well in speaking with your consumers. Absolutely. I mean, you know, we're already, already seeing that in the market now. I mean, we're having a huge slowdown in inventories building up. And, you know, people are just tapped out. They can't afford to pay the prices that are being axed at this point. So uh, it's inevitable mm. that these prices will have to come down. And in good time, I think the Fed is really intelligent. Right. These guys are pretty smart economists. I think they know what they're doing and they're uh, they're raising these rates at the right time. I mean, the rates go up, forcing the market pressures down on prices and we can get some type of uh, stabilization. Obviously, you know, without homes sales occurring, we've seen that already in the last uh, big recession that that has a direct impact on not only the housing market, but contractors and a lot of third-party companies that are relying on people buying homes so these home prices do have to stabilize and you know i was reading about uh the west you know i don't know if you've been keeping up with what's going on in seattle and san francisco but a lot of downward pressure has come on them the average price in san francisco was a million bucks i mean doesn't make doesn't make much sense for the uh everyday guy so um yeah, I'm glad we talked about that because I think people should think about the impact that rising rates has on the market and be a little excited that rates are going up with the idea that obviously prices will come down and create that wedge for people to uh, to make a good sound purchase, financially sound purchase. I hope so. And I, I, that's, you know, as, as you said earlier, you know, Besides those markets on the West Coast, we live in a very expensive market here, you know, one of the top on the East Coast. And, you know, I have a lot of friends who are getting frustrated about certain markets, certain areas are becoming only for the wealthiest to live in. Um, that's obviously not the case for all of Boston, Boston and the metro areas, but I'm excited to see rates go up a bit because I really wanted to see uh, housing prices cool, slow down a bit, level, stabilize. Um, because now I'm, it's bringing more for me, which is most of my, most of my consumers are first time home buyers. Okay. Most of my consumers are putting three to 10% down. And so for them, they're excited because they're seeing a little bit more inventory on the market. They're seeing a little less competition out there. Um, and so I'm, I'm excited because if those prices start to stabilize a bit and the bidding wars aren't as crazy as I'm, I know you and I have seen over the years. Correct. Um, that's going to allow more more people to buy. So I, we all knew this was coming. Um, and I think the trend, I, I'm curious of your perception, but I think the trend is is clear that it's out there and it's happening. I don't think it's just this hasn't been going on for a week or two. We've been seeing for a couple months now some changes, a little uh, quieter activity. Um, but I'm curious of your perception because you're hitting the streets with your clients I'm speaking on the phone pre-approving in a larger number set, and I'm curious you know, what you're seeing on the streets as well. Yeah, well, you know, two things are, are really exciting right now. One, I think because people are realizing, homeowners are realizing that we have peaked, and, uh, and actually I'll, I'll bring this up a, a little bit later, I'll bring it back, but Bank of America just came out with a statement saying that the housing market has peaked, so it's very, very clear mm -hmm. that that's, happened and now that we see that we're seeing a lot of the homeowners who are kind of waiting it out to see if they can get more for the house rushing to sell these houses i mean listen if you're gonna sell the place 
sell it now. I mean, who doesn't want to sell it at the top? And that's where we are. So Agreed. that's really a great place for buyers because, like you said, the more competition in the market, that means there's going to be a more opportunities for people to negotiate and be able to actually walk away from a deal knowing that there's something else on the other side. So that's really important uh, in any free market. We need to have inventory. We need to have access to opportunities. So I'm really excited about that. And the other thing that I'm seeing, too, is that buyers are now getting into the market again. So we had a little bit of a slowdown, um, at least from the reports I read. And even with some you know, clients that I've been dealing with, people have kind of been taking their time to decide whether they want to rent for another year and see what happens with prices or not and you know buy now but with these rate increases i think it's giving people a good incentive to get in the market now especially as we're seeing the prices start to level out and maybe even fall a little bit here and there so those two things are incredible and i want to ask you about um, you, you mentioned that a lot of the people you work with are first-time home buyers putting down just 3%. Uh, I did read that Fannie has uh, dropped the down payment requirement. It used to be 3.5%. And is the 3% a new thing, or is that a gener- generally always been the way you guys have done business? Yeah, not so uh, – great point. So not so new. We did have a 3% down option just below that 3.5% FHA option with through – Mass Housing, it's a great, wonderful state agency program we hear, uh, we have here in Massachusetts, I should say. Um, and we, we have had a 3% down uh, Fannie Mae program, but they're doing better at advertising it. So perhaps I see. while you've recently heard about it, um, I was actually just talking to a Fannie Mae rep uh, just the other day at an event Fairway hosted, and he was saying that they're really trying to push this for more um, – just to get more awareness out there. So I think that's hitting the street. Sounds like it's, it's working, right? Um, but there are some wonderful 3% down programs. I even recently closed a single-family home purchase in Everett. I think the home price was about 360 The borrower went through me and Mass Housing together as a partnership, and she did 100% financing. I mentioned that earlier. Wow. That, that, was, that was very, very common back in the day before the recession, and for the right qualified borrower, as she was, uh, starting up, you know, um, you know, recently divorced and looking to start with her daughter into a new home, we were able to assist her. Uh, she paid no closing costs because there was seller help paid for the credit for that. So it was a wonderful success story that I'm, I was happy to have closed the other month. But even that is back, again, for the right borrower. So, yes, low-down payment programs are, are here and getting more advertising, which is great. Well, Rob, before we continue, I want to give you a chance because I know pretty much everyone who's listening wants to know how to get in touch with you. They want a 100% loan if they can. So why don't you share uh, some of your contact information, and we'll jump back into the conversation. Sounds great. Yeah, the easiest way to reach me, typically available seven days a week from about 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. My cell phone, direct on 617 617- Seven nine seven seven nine nine five again six one seven seven nine seven seven nine nine five. If text is easier, I communicate enormously through text to figure out a great time to speak over the phone or email me at Rob V as in Victor at Fairway F A I R W A Y M C for Mortgage Corporation dot com or my website Rob Venziano 
nancyo.com. So V as in Victor, E-N-E-Z-I-A-N, nancyo.com. Excellent. Thank you, Robin. We're just about 20 minutes into the show. I want to ask you quickly about Fairway. Now, I know this is a huge company. You guys have been rated number one in a number of years now. And uh, five-star lenders, where, because this is a, a nationally syndicated show, where can we, um, as consumers, utilize all the great programs at Fairway that Fairway has to offer? Sure, sure. So, yeah, Fairway has been around for 20-plus years. Um, we are, as you mentioned, uh, you know, we're, we are proud to be in the, one of the top five lenders in the U.S. right now, which is really excited. Exciting for us, I should say. And even even recently, I heard from Jake, our CEO, that for the first three quarters of this year, compared to last year, I think we were the only lender, we were the lender in the country that had the highest percentage of growth year over year. So we're excited about that. So we are licensed in all 50 states. I personally am not, but I can easily make a referral to anyone else on the Fairway team if someone starts with me to get them to the most appropriate loan officer that's closest to them to assist. Uh, Fairway represents about 25 plus banks in our portfolio. A lot of people think that you know Fairway is the bank and the money is coming directly from us, but we are what's called a correspondent lender, which means we represent uh, a large number of banks so we can then for the consumer find the best match for the consumer based on all the banks programs and our portfolio that we directly resell for if you will um, and then eventually we will sell your loan off of our line as we're not for the most part not a servicing company at this point though do intend to become one next year uh, more so but we sell our loan off of our warehouse line to whatever bank we underwrote and funded your loan with but we're the person that helps get you there to the right program, the best rate, um, et cetera. Excellent, man. Well, hey, congratulations on the growth. It sounds like you guys are taking things even higher. And uh, and I love working with Fairway. I mean, you guys have always been very education-focused, so not just trying to get people in and get them out, but really teach them about the best ways to, to make And I don't know if that's a company-wide thing or just – dealing with you but i do appreciate that part of uh part of the business yeah thank you for that and one thing i will say is that is a company-wide um attribute of all of us because you know more and more now as i'm sure you're seeing on in in the in the real estate world there's all these kind of dot-com you know uh folks out there that are sitting in call centers oh yeah help you and, and the, the quality of service is just not there. I get it. The, a lot of the younger consumers, millennials and whatnot, you know, love the texting and the phone apps to communicate. And we certainly have a wonderful phone app on our side um, that is like some of these leading phone apps that are uh, advertised ad nauseum on, online, in my opinion. But the reality is, is that the quality and experience of these loan officers that are working for these companies and call centers is really, really, really low. And so the education and passion and experience is just not there. And when you're making one of the biggest purchases, I'm sure, as it is for almost every consumer in their life, wouldn't you want to trust that with someone who's experienced not only company-wise, but also the loan officer themselves? And that's certainly something that Fairway offers. And you heard it here. So definitely I would encourage everybody to look into Fairway and see what products and services they might be able to offer you. 
now, Rob, I wanted to dive right back in. I had a couple more questions for you uh, just to get your opinion on things as far as the overall real estate market is concerned. Um, now, we kind of touched on it a little earlier, but uh, where would you say we are in the, the real estate cycle, given, you know, you've kind of you've witnessed quite a, uh, at least two from inside the business um mm. where where would you say we are in that cycle and what advice would you give people in today's market to uh take advantage of that information sure so we are definitely in the second busiest time of the year um for us and the, you know, the first as, as you know the busiest always tends to be that spring market um may june july does sometimes creep into into the summer. Absolutely, August I've had some very busy months, um, and then we kind of take a break. And then what happens is everybody enjoys the last bits of summer, at least of course here in New England. Yes, <laughs> um, before fall sets in, <laughs> and um, like this weekend, another beautiful one. Um, but then um, everybody kind of resets because they want to start looking again before the holidays hit. Certainly, try to get into a home right before or the worst case right after Thanksgiving, uh, at least here in New England. So it, it's definitely the for New England, I'm speaking of that and my, my market of experience over the years is we're really in a, in a very busy cycle. It was a little slower to start. And I think based on what you were saying, if what we're seeing, you know, rising rates and prices leveling and some adjustments even down in some areas, I think we're, we, that was a big reset that I saw um, definitely August, one of the quietest quiet August I've seen uh, in quite a bit of time. Steady, but definitely not as frenzied as the past August before. Um, and so now um, I think we're in kind of cruising speed for going into the fall. Um, there's still a lot of activity and excitement because what you said, I think people are trying to grab these lower rates while they're still here, still at historical lows, P.S., um, as they start to see prices come down and see that it's more of a buyer's market, and the buyers have more say now leaving that seller's market in getting some more flexibility that they deserve you know, to buy that home. So second busiest time of the year for me, and I'm, I'm assuming you'd see, you're seeing the same with your business. Right on par, actually. Um, you know, it's like the sky opened up in September 1st, and everybody wants to do business. And I'm happy, and I'm ready, so let's do it. Um uh, you know, I've been kind of shifting my business to work more with people with the mindset of an investor, people who want to build, um, you know, a, a lifestyle for themselves through real estate investing. Um, and on that note, I want to know, um, you know, when you work with investors, what is some of the uh, what is some of the talk right now that investors are are saying? What are they interested in? Where where are they hoping things go? And uh, and what information can you give us about the people that you're dealing with on the investor side of things? So not the the everyday consumer. Sure. So investors, you know, want to know. And you know this figure better than I. Is it cap rate? Cap rate, um, definitely. What, right. So, and, and and your translation of that and kind of the, the, the formula behind that is, I'm sure, much more knowledgeable because I don't help them determine that. Um, but they want to know, where are rates? Because when you're buying an investment property, rates are always higher. It's not a primary residence. It's not a second home. 
So I've seen anywhere from a half a point to a point higher for investors when we're dealing with folks who are buying investment properties, whether it's a condo, whether it's a single family, whether it's a multifamily. So what they really want to know is, okay, we know that the primary residence and second home rates have gone up. Their rates have moved up in tandem as well. Um, where the payments are now, they want to get a sense of that. Uh, obviously, based on where are the rents, which are still very high in the Boston area, I'll speak of that area specifically. Okay. Um, and then what's their return going to be? You know, is Are they going to be gathering up in rents, of course, as anyone w- would want to who owns an investment property, uh, to pay um, the mortgage, the principal and interest, the monthly property taxes, the monthly homeowner's insurance, and potentially even private mortgage insurance if they're putting less than 20% down, which you can do for a single-family home or condo as an investment property. So for me, it comes in my, – my role is fairly simple. I think you sometimes have the harder job with, with the, you know, the cap rate and, and chatting with them around those figures. For me, it's they want to know the rate, the payment, and then go back to talk to you about the rental income possibility for the units based on the, the, the attributes of the unit – to then figure out, is this a worthwhile investment in this community? If not, maybe I need to move it to another community where the price is a bit lower, but the rents are just as favorable. Yeah, so, and, you know, that's a, that's a good synopsis of, of that whole process. And uh, the reason I, I wanted to ask that and bring that out is because I don't know particularly if from talking to the investors that I've been working with, they realize just how great of a position we're in right now. I mean, this is, I was uh, watching an interview with Robert Kiyosaki recently. um, And for anybody who doesn't know the name, that's uh, the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Um, You know, he's an investor in many different areas and particularly in his real estate business. He mentioned that because of where we are in this market today, he's actually dumping off a lot of his underperforming assets. And I don't know if uh, if as many people who are in this business considering themselves as investors, realizing that there is so much potential here to, to dump some of your underperforming assets and also for people who are looking to increase their portfolio position, this is a great time to start pitching deals and pitching offers and if you have the right financing behind you this is you know this is the golden time this is almost i, I don't know i want to equate it to 2005 2006 um where just everybody's just so extremely confident that you can actually make some things happen before you know opportunities dissipate so i did want to mention that the financing portion of things is very important having that in place and uh and then come and see a guy like me and we'll find a deal that will make uh make your portfolio worth having so uh i appreciate that rob and, and so a couple other things i wanted to get to um now we talked about investing we've talked about the general consumers we talked about rate increases there are some perceptions people have about credit and what the scores equate and what ranges they need to be in now we did talk about uh 600 is uh some minimum products for 600 average 620 um but as far as credit is concerned what type of things 
does a bank look for on your credit report and what hurts more than others? Uh, what impacts should people be concerned with when they're preparing to increase their credit or uh, prepare to secure a mortgage? Sure. Great question. And one that I get probably besides what is your rate most common <laughs> okay. is, you know, the first thing I hear is don't pull my credit or are you going to have a hard pull on my credit? Because doing that is going to impact my scores. And that is not necessarily true. Um, I, I tell people to think about it logically. Is it fair that our credit scores are hurt if we occasionally need to use it to get a car? a credit card or get pre-approved for a mortgage. It's not fair that it would be impacted. Right. If you have one inquiry uh, or two, you know, in a, the rule of thumb is in a 30-day period, a small handful of inquiries is typically fine. It should not hurt your scores. Um, the other question I get is, well, I've looked on my FICO or Credit Karma um, or my credit card gives you my score and it's 780, so can't you just use that? Well, no, that's a consumer credit score that you're seeing. We pull from a mortgage scale, and the scale is about 50 points different. Now, it doesn't mean that our scores are going to be 50 points lower, but it's just a different scale. Okay. So any lender you're working with has to pull the credit. They have to pull it. You can't give them a credit report either from another lender or you know, from Credit Karma and say, use this. The hard inquiry has to happen. Okay. Um, so... The good news is once those credit scores are pulled, and they are pulled from all three major credit reporting agencies, what we then look at to answer your question is, um, you know, we cross our fingers and hope, one, there are no collections. Okay. Because if you owe somebody money and haven't paid that bill, it will eventually go to collection. And if that's not addressed or paid, that collection can stay on your report forever. Wow. I'll give you a quick example, if I could, of a friend of mine. Um, who was in a fraternity back in college, and I spoke with him about 10 years out, and he had charged something for the fraternity at the time on a car that he opened up. Uh, at the time, decided not to pay it for whatever reason, and then when I pulled credit, it was on there, and he was utterly shocked that was still on there. He thought, well, you know, it eventually will just go away. They're not going to find me. They can't collect. You know, I'm good. He wasn't. Wow. Um, it had been affecting his credit all along because what happens is, one agency couldn't find him. They sold it to another collection agency who couldn't find him, sold it to another collection agency, but it kept reposting on his credit. So he decided to negotiate and pay a lower balance, which was great that he did that. And then we saw his scores rebound over that next year that we tracked him to them where we finally put him into his first condominium in Boston. So wow. number one, if you have any collections, please pay them off okay. because they will – haunt you if they are still on there, even if you think they're gone or they haven't found you and you've outsmarted um, you know, the creditor. Number two, late payments. Don't pay those bills over 30 days late from the due date. It doesn't mean if you pay them a day after the due date, which I used to think before I got in the business, um, that it's going to hurt your scores. Absolutely not. But 30 days from the due date is the window. If it is after 30 days from the due date, you will be tacked with a 30-day late. And if you don't pay it, a 30-day late could go to a 60-day late, could even go to a 90-day late. And those will have an impact on your scores as well. They could stay on there as late and impact the scores for uh, about two years. Wow. For any late payments. So those, again, I hope not to see when I pull somebody's credit. And the final thing is just the, the breadth and kind of depth of credit history, right? 
if you went out today and opened up your first card and got a Target or Kohl's credit card, and that's the only thing in your history, that's not enough history for really to get a good score with uh, when lenders pull it. And many banks have you know minimum number of what's called a trade line. A trade line is anyone you owe a debt to. So if you had a student loan, a car payment, and one credit card, that's three different trade lines. Um, some banks want to see multiple trade lines, some with a two-plus-year history. That's more for jumbo loans where they'll want to see at least a few trade lines with at least a couple years' history on it. If not, they may be able to do some alternative trade lines like a utility bill over the past couple years or showing an insurance bill paid over the last couple years. There are what we call alternative ways to prove those trade lines. But the bottom line is the, the, the deeper uh, the credit, the longer history – the more lending options you're going to open up. I see. Okay. So trade lines, no collections, and definitely pay off your pay your bills within 30 days, and that should put you That's in a right. good position to get a get a, get into secure mortgage. That's right. That's right. And not to sound discouraging for those who are new to credit, I've seen people whose parents have added them on their credit card, and then the borrower has a couple few years ago, perhaps when they were even in college, and then my borrower opened up a card about a year ago, and I pull credit, and I see some pretty good scores typically wow, where okay. they can get a loan. It doesn't mean if they don't have three trade lines or 24 years of history, I don't want to leave that perception off that they can't. That's more jumbo when you're borrowing over at least this year's jumbo loan amount. Again, that's 603750 loan amount, not purchase price, but loan amount. It's, you know, but if I, most of my first time home buyers have a three to 350 to maybe 400 K loan. And I see fairly limited credit with some of them and we're still certainly able to assist. Okay. That's great. But um, yeah, which is really wonderful too. Um, but ultimately, yes, just as you summarize, those things are all important. And once that credit report is pulled, it's good for four months. So no, we don't have to do a hard pull again. That credit report is good for four months, which means if we're pre-approving that consumer, that's also good for four months as well, their pre-approval letter. Wow. So, so, Rob, I know just about every real estate professional has had this happen to them. So I, I'd love it if you can explain it to me. I've had a client go get a mortgage, pre-approved, go shopping, put in an offer, get the offer accepted, we go through all the nuts and bolts, and they go and buy a car before we close on the loan. Tell me, how and why exactly does that impact a, a person's ability to actually close? Right. So, we always say one of the do's and don'ts is we send out a wonderful document we put together that says what to do and not to do, like don't switch jobs in the middle of getting your loan approved before you close. Uh, try not to open up new bank accounts if possible. And the other is don't make any large purchases like a car because we all have a debt-to-income ratio, which is how much monthly debt we have divided into our gross monthly income. So uh, I tell everybody to be mindful of that because if, in this example, if someone goes out to buy a new car and that car payment is now three, $400 a month, mm -hmm. that is going to add to the, the borrower's monthly debt expenses beyond the mortgage payment we're estimating. Maybe they have student loan minimum monthly payments, even maybe credit card minimum monthly payments. We'll now add this large car payment on. 
and now we have larger monthly expenses divided into that same figure for the gross monthly income, and that debt-to-income ratio percentage naturally goes up. If it's too high, they can suddenly disqualify themselves for the loan because every loan program has a maximum debt-to-income ratio, and if you go over that, you suddenly might have initially qualified, and now suddenly you don't qualify anymore because you've now put yourself up over, we say DTI, that debt-to-income ratio maximum threshold. I so I tell my consumers, don't, you know, once you get pre-approved, don't open up any new lines of credit. Um, free, you don't have to freeze your spending activity. You can use your credit cards mindfully, but don't go maxing out your credit lines. Right. Uh, on your credit cards or try to open up a new one because if you do, those monthly payments are going to go up and could affect your debt-to-income ratio. Now, that said, the final thing I'll say around this is that some people have very low healthy debt-to-income ratios when we pre-approve them. So that car payment might certainly will push their debt-to-income ratio up, but it might not push it to the a level where it's uh, suddenly they're, they're not pre-approved or not qualified. So it's not that they can't, because I've had those panic calls, by the way. My car just died. I need a new car. I have to get to work. You know, is this going to ruin everything? Doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be the case. We just need to run the numbers to make sure that that debt income ratio is still going to stay in the healthy range. Uh, that's very helpful. So it's not necessarily that they bought a car that's the problem. It's just that they increase the amount of debt that they have now, and obviously – they need to service that debt, which limits their ability to service new debt with the mortgage. That's correct. That's well, well said. Absolutely right. I understand. Okay. Well, that, that, that explains it. I hope I'll never have to explain that to another customer. But if I do, at least I can now. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. Hopefully you're not in that situation where you get that panic call. Yeah. You know, I mean, hey, people just want to see the car in the driveway before they have the driveway. I don't know. But... It happens. It happens. Um, well said. Hey, Rob, you know, one last thing I'd like to ask you, uh, and this is uh, something on this season and probably beyond for the rhythm of real estate. We, we want to get really goal oriented. Uh, the, the mission of this podcast is to really inform people and inspire them to make decisions, make actions and and make a better life for themselves through real estate. Mm. So one of the uh, questions that I, or the main question that I want to ask every single guest every single time is, if you don't mind, please share with the listeners some of your goals, either professionally or personally, that you're hoping to accomplish in the next 12 to 18 months. Right. Um, my personal goals? Um you know, I want, I'm trying to do the reach out more to first-time homebuyers okay. through home buying seminars, uh, whether it's at companies um, or in libraries, to get the good word out about, you know, that rates are still great, right? They're still at historical lows. True, they might not have been as low as they were during the peak of the recession, but considering when I got into the business 15 years ago, they were about 6.5%. And we're still locking consumers in the fours for the, the right qualified percent. consumer. I have clients who are faint thinking about six and a half percent. Right. And as you and I were chatting offline before we started the podcast, you know, that's all about that perspective, right? Yeah, definitely. That, you know, 
you know, you, you'll, you'll talk to your parents, or your grandparents, and they remember rates in the teens. Correct. Um, whereas 6.5% when I was getting in was amazing because my first property that I purchased, I was torn between locking 6.99 and 7%. And I couldn't lock it quick enough, and I went to work bragging about that rate because it was so good at the time. Now, you know, you, you're, you know, some people who've already purchased and they'll brag that, oh, I have a three-point something or low four-point something. And now, you know, they're talking to their friends who are in the mid to high fours. And even there are certainly low fives out there for maybe the borrower who doesn't have the best credit scores. There's still great rates. So I'm still trying to get that word out there about perspective. And a lot of people think putting 20% down is what they have to have to buy a home. That's not even a jumbo loan. You can put as little as 10% down and still buy. So I'm trying to get the word out there about that. So that is continues to be my goal as it really was 15 years ago when I started is letting people know, because I love working with first time home buyers. That's where my passion is, is you can still buy property with low down payment, uh, still historically low rates and the payment, unless you're living a home and having not, and not paying any rent, um, Based as you know, the rental payments and the, the, the rental prices in the, in the Boston market and area are quite high still. Uh, we can look at a rent versus buy and show them that owning and, and, and building your own equity and controlling your own space and having your own home, that payment really might not be that different from what you're paying for rent right now. And many times it's less. Many times it's similar. Sometimes it's a little higher, but there's such that wonderful tax write-off, as you know, about being able to write off all the interest that the consumer is paying on their mortgage to lower their taxable income at tax time to then have a net payment that's lower at the end of the year when they get that refund, lower than what they were probably paying in rent. So that's my mission always has been, will will continue to be as we see the market shift a bit and become more of a buyer's market to let the buyers know, you know, everything is still looking great for them, even in this, uh, this day and time. You know, I love that. I love that. I, I actually have three goals that I share uh, regularly with just about anyone who will listen. And my goals are very, very straightforward. I want to educate, I want to invest, and I want to explore. So as far as the education portion, I would love to team up with you, um, possibly do a, uh, a home, home buyer's class in our office over at Copley Square. Um, and we could talk about that offline and get that organized. But um, right. I, I think it'd be, you know, very useful. So any of the listeners of this podcast, uh, will make sure you get any information as soon as that's set up, up and running. And, um, and also I'd love as far as invest goes, I'd love dealing with people's, uh, dreams, you know, and helping people to invest in themselves. So, uh, obviously it takes some money to do that and you are the money man. So we'll, we'll be able to share in that, that goal as well. And, uh, and finally explore. Um, you know, I, I think that we live in such a unique and beautiful world full of unique and beautiful people. It's important for us to explore not only the land, but explore culture and explore other people's lifestyle. So, uh, bringing people together, uh, is really important to me. So, um, yeah, hopefully we can set up something where we can bring people from all different cultures. That's one of my favorite things about Boston. It's just a super multicultural city. Bring people together, help them learn about what uh, opportunities are for them in the market, and then help them to invest in that. So it seems like our goals are pretty aligned. I'm glad to hear that. 
Well said and agreed and agreed. Well, Rob, I appreciate you taking the time to uh, educate the listeners and myself on a lot of mortgage related information, gave us some good rundowns on how rates are affecting uh, the market, how we can position ourselves to take advantage of these historic low rates, and uh, also just giving us a lot of insight on how the actual business works. I think we did a great job in allowing the listeners to understand and hopefully got them mobile and you should be getting some phone calls very soon. So uh, why don't you give your contact information again and uh, you leave the listeners with any last words you have. Sure, definitely. The easiest way to get me is directly on my cell phone, seven days a week from about 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., 617-797-7995. Again, 617-797-7995. Or you can certainly reach out to me on email, Rob V, as in Victor, at Fairway MC Mortgage Corporation. Uh, so F-A-I-R-W-A-Y-M-C dot com. Or, of course, through my website as well. It is my name, Rob venziano.com and that last name again tough for people to uh pronounce and even to spell <laughs> so v as in victor e-n-e-z zebra i-a-n-o dot com uh, and as regards to, in regards to the last thoughts yeah thank you uh, for inviting me on your podcast really really happy and honored to be a part of your podcast and look forward to continuing to work together to help folks uh, realize the American dream, one of those, of course, being a homeowner and uh, helping them move to reach their goals in that. Hey, Mr. Venziano, Rob, I do appreciate it. Um, Guys, if you need to get in touch with me, as always, you can visit my website. Uh, That's deandrelevarity.com, D-E-A-N-D-R-E. L-E-V, like Victor, A-R-I-T-Y dot com. Uh, also, uh, visit listwithlevarity.realtor. And uh, feel free to uh, give me a shout out on any of the social sites, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, if you can find me on Snapchat, I don't snap very often these days, but... We will stay in touch. And uh, as always, current real estate group with Keller Williams, Boston Metro, Copley Square. Give me a call. You can reach me at 617-658-3325. Text, email, whatever you got to do. Get in touch with me and I will stay in touch with you. This is DeAndre. This is Rhythm of Real Estate. Thank you, Rob. Have a great night, everybody. You're very welcome.